1: to NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Blocks show, week eight already. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. Kyle, as always, at the top of the show, we like to start with a quick recap, perhaps some lessons learned from the weeks prior. So how about you tell the people how you did and uh, maybe something you took away from last week's slate as we continue moving and learning in what is the sharpest year of DFS literally ever.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that's like uh, almost undoubtedly true. I mean, it's like... uh... Um, What's the uh, the principle that uh, like the average IQ the average person's IQ moves up like two points every decade? There's some like general heuristic (laughs) of how IQs move up. It's just like the progression of any uh, series of events is the market, the people in this case playing the game get better and better and better. Uh last week I had to like look up what happened last week. You were like this on the Wednesday show where you're just like so laser focused on getting the task done at hand and moving forward that like I have I've have really reached that zombification point. Like uh like probably once the Chiefs turned the ball over for the ninth time, I turned into the Joker and then slowly became a zombie pushing forward. But I did like, so I just, I pulled up the Millie Maker winning lineup, figured it was just give us a starting point to jump off with. Two things that jumped out right away to me where uh, maybe this was pre-planned, maybe it wasn't, but it very well could have been. Late swap in the Millie Maker, I would assume this was a lot different in uh, like contests you're playing in, like, you know, the, the power sweep or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Foster Moreau at tight end, 2500 was easily, easily, easily the best value of the slate. I mean, he was going to play all the snaps. I forget, they have the the backup blocking tight end who was put on IR like three or four weeks ago. And then Darren Waller was out. 2,500, you're expecting, I don't know, half of Darren Waller's production. And you got more of that at 2,500. And he was 2% owned. That was just completely insane. Like if you are not around at uh, what is locked two or what is uh, inactive 230, something like that, you're giving up so much edge. And the other one I just thought was uh, interesting. Terry McLaurin, in a game that kind of looked interesting, they would be underdogs against a Packers defense that I don't think is as vaunted as we thought without Jair Alexander, I believe still was 4%. I think that's a good sort of truism of DFS is you should often be looking to just play good players in bad spots because good players are often better than the spots are bad. Like Terry McLaurin proved this. He's going to have a massive target share. He's like a, a super talented receiver, capable of winning at all levels of the field, particularly though on really nice deep balls. And yeah, he got the job done. It's not going to work all the time, but I do think we often overcorrect for what we think are bad places to play good players. But the thing is, we believe them to be good for, I would think, stronger reasons than we think the spots are, quote, bad.
1: Taking from last week's slate as well, what I learned was, well, one got the ownership projections wrong on, in particular, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Let's just go to the Millie, for instance. Let's just ignore mid and high stakes. Just go to the recreational Millie, the $20 entry on DraftKings. And if you had told me, Of course, this is part of the game of DFS is trying to guess these roster percentages. And if you had told me before that Chris Godwin was going to be 32% rostered and Mike Evans was only going to be 10% rostered, that of course is the ultimate like tournament pivot. That's exactly the situation we look for weekly. And so it's little things like that, just even teammates. And to take it to my next point, you talk about teammates. That was the pivot also with Kyle Pitts rather than Calvin Ridley because that was the way to not only stack the Dolphins, but also run it back with a high upside player with significantly less roster numbers. And uh, that was a way, it took down a couple higher stakes tourneys, but like most of the people that finished in the top five, like my pro DFS friends, the pits pivot was what to get, what they did to get into the top five, getting off of Calvin Ridley. At that same time, It's a week actually where I think a lot of people are going to be on pits. And so you could just go back and do it on Ridley, oddly enough, this week. But I would just emphasize to not overreact to running back game. Remember that you are running back a situation in a game for a reason. You're not doing it just to throw like, you know, cheap Nelson Aguilar, for instance, Mm -hmm. if you want to play the Chargers, just to have a run back. You're saying like this person can outscore this person at lower roster percentage Or this person is just going to be significantly higher rostered. Thus, I think this player is better and can still achieve or match that player's number. Um, You're not just doing it just to do it. So it is a simple, like if you want to dumb that phrase down, it is as simple as saying play the good players. But uh, I think that gets lost in the fold so often that there's a reason why we do everything. And just to remember that this week and moving forward.
2: Yeah, I love the idea of not always running it back. And like, I I had a lot of running back correlation, a lot of running back plus my quarterback, which isn't normal. I don't think it's that highly correlated, but for some players, I think it's more than others. And the idea isn't that we're just, like you said, we're not just blindly like, these two players happen to play in the same game. I'm going to throw them together. Like the whole idea is that the value of Marquise Brown's points relative to Jamar Chase points last week, Marquise Brown has like something, I saw he had like 300 air yards, that's inhuman. He only got like 19 points, but uh, that's still a fine game. But the value of his points increased the probability that you get Jamar Chase's points, and they only increase by a certain amount that we can at least have an idea of what. Like, it's not like every point that you get from Marquise Brown is literally worth 10 more Jamar Chase points, although it felt like that, is that there's some mathematical correlation that can at least be generally zoned in on it's not going to be enough to fade a really good play. Like you said, like Nelson Aguilar, you should have been playing, like I think he caught a touchdown that was a pass from Kendrick Porn, or maybe he was the one to throw it. I don't remember. But you still have to factor in, at least try to factor in the math of correlation is important because it's a mathematical relation between two things. It is not this all like all foreseeing omniscient idea that if you just play players in the same game, they will all go off. There is still a a mathematical principle behind it. And if you are foregoing tons and tons of projected points. Just because two players play in the same game, you're probably doing it wrong. There's a a push and and a pull between correlation and between the projection you give up by playing said correlation.
1: And the teammate situation was also was the case for, as we talked about last week, Marquise Brown and Bateman as well. Bateman came in in a lot of tournaments, over 30% rostered. And uh, Marquise Brown, the pivot, of course, outscored him because that's what he had done previously, except against the Chargers. So overall, just little situations like that, be very aware of as we continue moving on. And with that, I'm curious to get your decision point on the week because it is an interesting slate where the roster percentages seem to be condensed, in particular on Josh Allen, perhaps on Jalen Hurts. And we're in another slate where a handful of good running backs are in terrific spots. And so I feel like I'm just going to wait and see what everyone else does, um, depending what fields we play. But let's go ahead and get your decision point of the week.
2: Yeah, for me, uh, it primarily came down to, I mean, it still is coming down to, I haven't made all of my decision yet, but its uh, it's like, where do you pay a quarterback? Not even as much uh, on like which quarterbacks you play. You can make arguments for most quarterbacks. I don't know if I'm playing Mike White this week, but for most quarterbacks, you can make an argument. This is one of the, the times, one of the only times in the past, it's like close to two and a half years, really, that I felt really good about playing some just like terrible quarterback plays because there is essentially one really good team on the main slate. It's the Buffalo Bills, the implied team total north of 31. And then you scroll and you scroll and you scroll until you find the next implied team total at 27. And that's what made playing these really low price, cheap quarterbacks who had a chance at three touchdowns and 300 yards so viable in 2017, 2018, is that they weren't competing with Josh Allen. They weren't competing with Patrick Mahomes in a given slate when it was just Tom Brady versus whatever bad, like you know, Joe Flacco for whoever back in the day, that type of thing. Yeah, sure. They can outscore them. That hasn't really been the case. You can't like, you know, Sam Darnold can hardly ever beat Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, but they only have Josh Allen to beat this week because all the all the other good quarterbacks and all the high implied team totals are either on buy or not on the main slate. So I think out of like, this is maybe the most viable in the past two and a half years it has ever been to play a truly trash quarterback just for the fantasy production, not because you actually have any faith in their ability as a quarterback.
1: Rank these on the spot for me <laughs> because I completely agree. I've been looking at the quote unquote, terrible cheap stacks yes. because I think they're all in amazing spots. Uh, you mentioned Sam Darnold. No one's going to get there, but remember, like Darnold has cowered under pressure over the last month. He's been bad for a clean pocket too, but he's been extremely terrible—less than four yards per attempt under pressure over the last month. Whereas the Falcons create a league-low pressure rate. And we don't consider it a good defense whenever they allow Tua to throw for four touchdowns. Like Tua has looked better, but he still averaged less than seven and a half yards per attempt. Like it wasn't even a good performance. It was the Falcons defense. And now everyone's concerned about Sam Darnold and the Panthers, and maybe rightfully so given all their injuries around their offense, cratering the talent around him. But also like we've seen him have QB1 performances for you know three, four full games, also add a rushing floor. And now the usage doesn't change. The target tree has only gotten honed down further, especially without with Terrace Marshall out yet again. So we know it's going to be DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson as the clear one or two double stack options. So rank these for me, Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz, Ryan Tannehill, Trevor Lawrence.
2: Uh, Are you talking just like tournament leverage, like where my exposure will be? Because I think like these guys are probably all going to project better than Sam Darnold, but like you said, no, no one is getting a Sam Darnold and they are certainly your favorite
1: place. (laughs) They're all pretty much the same salary across sites. It is, it makes more sense on DraftKings since we, you know, on FanDuel, the the highest priced quarterback, 8,800 or whatever. Like then you go down to, a Tannehill price and it's like 7,900, $7,800 in any given week. So it's not really much of a drop-off. That's why paying down at tight end on FanDuel is also pretty tough whenever the most expensive tight end is only two or three K more. But DraftKings, it makes sense because you got to fit another player. And uh it's just like the way pricing works there, considering 3K all the way to let's say Cooper Cup, 9K at wide receivers, for instance. So you're just favorite plays, you know their salary, they're all similar, just your favorite plays between Darnold Wentz, Tannehill, and Lawrence. Darnold
2: first. Darnold wins Tannehill Lawrence. He's the worst of these guys, like the worst player of these guys. That's probably That's
1: okay. That's okay. It's,
2: it's totally fine though. He's probably, the, he's gotta be the worst player of these guys by a pretty considerable margin. But like you said, we don't like, nothing changed about Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold was playing better than he normally had in the first few weeks and worse than he has most times and like like last week he got benched for pj walker that's sam darnold like i think he's aggressive enough and has good enough weapons to have a ceiling despite the fact that his floor is literally getting benched for pj walker who's also just ghastly three i think he's like three of 14 uh you know took two third down sacks so i don't think he's getting benched again and i think that game is a pretty decent game environment so i will say uh sam Darnold would be my first i think probably how popular do you think Ryan Tannehill gets as a proxy to the A.J. Brown popularity? Because I would think as, there has to be some correlation between Julio Jones going out, A.J. Brown becoming really popular, I would imagine, I think will be one of the more popular plays of the slate. There aren't a ton of high total games, and that one I last I checked was at 51. So I think both sides of that game will kind of be popular. And with the A.J. Brown, or I guess with the Julio Jones news affecting A.J. Brown, I think they go, kind of go in tandem. People are more comfortable playing A.J. Brown. They're more comfortable playing Ryan Tannehill. And I think the difference between Tannehill, Wentz, even Sam Darnold, who I don't think is that good. You know, I think the difference between them is all kind of negligible. So I'm gonna take the least popular one. I think Darnold will be the least popular one by a pretty considerable amount now with the uh the AJ Brown chalk, as I'll call it.
1: I do wonder Darnold doesn't get steamed, right? Like it's <laughs> we're doing it right like, now. It's totally possible. <laughs> the field is not that sharp, right? Like I genuinely think I he's think so, so cheap that uh perhaps that's that's what happens with ownership, is that eventually on Sunday morning you see that. Everyone wants to play him, knowing that they can just play DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. Having said that, I do believe that Anderson and Moore are going to be in the situation like Pitts and Ridley last week, and that everyone's going to want to play Anderson, just taking a chance, thinking like they're being the brave one, and no one's going to want to pay 3K more for DJ Moore when uh, DJ Moore is in the same spot, if not a more awesome spot. He still leads the team in targets without Christian McCaffrey and Dan Arnold. So I love, love trying to get up to DJ Moore this week as I've been tinkering with some higher priced wide receivers on DraftKings. For me, it is about, after we saw last week and we talked about this on last week's show. uh, Thank you for getting the questions in throughout the stream as well. We will get to them in just a moment throughout because I have some segments planned around them. But we talked about being contrarian with the Rams and what you did around Cooper Cup. And uh, our own Pat Corain actually won the spin move, one of the high stakes single entry tournaments because he triple stacked Matthew Stafford with Higby, Van Jefferson, and Cooper Cup. And so I think it's another week where we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing with the Rams? Because Henderson's not cute. He's just an awesome play and everyone knows mm-hmm. it. Cooper Cup is not cute, but hes they finally moved him up around 9K on both sites. And even then you can make the case it's not high enough if he can sustain his production right now. And then um, everyone is going to play Van Jefferson as a cheap option, knowing that Deshaun Jackson has already been ruled out due to a trade request. And that's why we saw Van Jefferson play 94% of snaps last week. We didn't know it last week, but that's what happened. And so of course, Van Jefferson is going to be right back in this every down role. Higby also, same thing, 100% of snaps last week without Johnny Munt, now on season ending injury reserve. Same thing's going to happen again. So uh, I'm just curious, like how you were approaching the Rams as a whole, because they're all awesome plays yet again.
2: Yeah, I don't think probably, I mean, I think the uh, Van Jefferson is probably a pretty decent play. He was already playing a pretty significant role uh, before the Deshaun Jackson ruled out because he doesn't want to play for them. Dude, John Jackson like looks good. I don't get why they don't don't play him. I get why he wants to be traded as a side note, but uh, I don't actually think, do you think Van Jefferson gets that popular? He seems to me like such a deep cut. That like in the million maker, he was 4% last week. And I think that moves to six, seven feels generous. And I still think that's perfectly fine to pay for now the clear number three option. And I Cooper cup is going to come in at like 22% or something like that, you know, sub 25 Popular, maybe the most popular receiver, and he's going to drop 40, and we're going to look back as if, like, why wasn't he the absolute chalk smash? Because his usage is, imagine if Michael Thomas from two years ago also scored a ton of touchdowns. Like, he is, I mean, legitimately, it's the best start to, like, any season ever for a receiver. They only start with, I believe, 800 uh, receiving yards and seven touchdowns, I think it was, in seven games. He's on pace for, like, 2,000 receiving yards. He's going absolutely mad. And because he's Cooper Cup and he's not, you know, peak, julio jones or he's not one of these like big name receivers i think he always gets kind of a discount in terms of how popular he is so i would say i personally think that even if he comes in as popular it's probably not enough and the van jefferson attachment you could put to it i guess you could put a tyler higby attachment to it those will be unpopular enough that it gives you enough leverage i think the most popular quarterback is going to be jalen hurts he just lets you do he's relatively cheap he's in a really good spot for once his team's actually favored and he plays a terrible lines defense. Well, that's great stuff, but I don't think he's like a a complete smash play because his distribution has really been tightened around like, uh, you know, 22 points, right? He has one game over 30 and I think none over 32. So I'm kind of fine paying up, uh, you know, for a few different quarterbacks that aren't Jalen Hurts simply because I think if you just fade the entire Philly offense, you get a pretty solid leverage spot that, uh, you know, I can eat the Cooper Cup chalk. I can eat the Matt Stafford chalk, especially after attaching a Van Jefferson to it.
1: As I'm showing at on the DFS toolkit right now on the stream, available at nbcsportsedge.com. Uh Cooper Cup, no surprise, our top projected wide receiver in our DFS projections. Daryl Henderson, no surprise. Uh, the third running back on the slate, pending what happens with Austin Eckler. We'll get to that in a bit. And then Matthew Stafford, somewhat buried, even though we we have full confidence in his ability as well. I actually am surprised though you say Jalen Hurts is going to be in roster than Josh Allen. So then does that give us a situation to play Stafford at what we should, what we consider to be not as high of ownership as they should have in this slate. I mean,
2: that's my opinion. I think it'll be, I think it'll be a tier. I think it'll be Josh Allen, Jalen hurts because like Josh Allen has a 31, some odd implied team total. And even though their opponents don't project to give much resistance, the dolphins, it doesn't matter. They pass when they're behind, they pass when they're ahead, they pass when it's neutral. Uh, so I think he and Jalen Hurts will both be well clear of double digit ownership in pretty much all contests and the higher stakes you go, they both also project very well. It's not like an incorrect assumption to make that they deserve to be played a lot. The higher stakes you go, the more popular both of them will be. And then I think there's a pretty big teardrop where after essentially either of those two, I think you're perfectly fine playing anyone else. I still think you're fine playing those guys, but you do have to build in, I think, especially with Jalen Hurts, you have to build in a pretty considerable amount of leverage elsewhere. Whereas like. Josh Allen, I don't think Emmanuel Sanders or Cole Beasley or like Tommy Sweeney, right? If he starts at tight end, I assume he's starting at tight end. I think all of those pieces will end up being not particularly popular. Whereas Dallas Goddard, I think like if you just play Jalen Hurts, Dallas Goddard, I think you're kind of making a a really chalky like cash game start to your lineup. You really have to work to to get different elsewhere. And at which point you're giving up a ton of projection to do so. So uh, yeah, there you go. The Tommy Sweeney question. Uh, yeah, he's. I think he's price he's got to be mid price. Imagine pricing up uh, Tommy Sweeney, maybe he's 2,600. So, you know, I, I think any way you can do it, attaching these super cheap but on the field could catch a touchdown, could go for 40 yards at their price. That's good enough. It's the same argument as Van Jefferson. It's the same argument you can make for Tyler Johnson, who basically ran all the routes as the number three for Tom Brady last week. All of these guys have pretty considerable ceilings at their price. Obviously, they're not going 150 and three, but at their price, it's pretty good, uh a pretty good attachment to the offense you want to play. I don't really see that uh, type of dynamic for Jalen Hurts. I think the easiest way to stack him is also by far the most popular, which I don't, like, I think it's really, it makes a ton of sense to stack Van Jefferson, even Tyler Higby, as much as I think he's kind of pretty bland pick. A dude could put three touchdowns on the board. It's definitely possible.
1: So you have a choice right now on a Friday afternoon. You have to choose, no political answers. Uh, <laughs> with Stafford, want someone else and Cooper Cup, or are you not putting Cup in that stack? I'm putting Cup in the stack. I mean, okay. I, I think Cup I just is just make sure. like,
2: so, so likely to go. I mean, I, his his prop on like all sports books go to points, but his prop is like 96 and a half, I think is where I saw it. Like his median projection r- lies right around 100 yards, the bonus on DraftKings. And he's got, I think, four now, maybe three, it might be three uh, double digit touchdown games. It's absolutely insane. Uh, I would, I think I'm going to have a really like baseline of uh, Cup, Matt Stafford, and probably Van Jefferson. Maybe you could argue Robert Woods, although throughout their careers, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup have been
1: pretty negatively correlated. TC asked about Sweeney being a decent DFS play at his price. That's one of the situations that makes this slate interesting because there is some unknown baked in. Brian Dayball being one of the more intelligent play cards in the NFL. I don't expect him actually to just plug in Tommy Sweeney As the Dawson Knox replacement, I think we get more 10 personnel and more four wide sets where Gabriel Davis would actually be used as a like faux Dawson Knox because they're (laughs) using more wide receivers instead of having a receiving tight end. That's why I think Beasley is like one of the highest floor plays on the entire slate, in particular at DraftKings, where you get points for the receptions and Gabriel Davis is a, a thinner option who is cheap that I just wonder what kind of roster percentages he's going to accumulate on Sunday because I think he is an awesome play in place of Dawson Knox. So that's how I would play it personally, especially in deeper tournaments. If you're playing the Millie, you're playing the $9 slant, you're playing like one of the $3, 150 maxes. I think Gabriel Davis is a pretty good option, whether you're stacking him or one-offing the Bills offense. What about your favorite play behind Stephon Diggs for the Bills? Since the Bills are clearly... Going to be one of the highest rostered offenses in this entire slate.
2: Yeah, I think that's one where I actually don't believe you have to play Stefan. I'm probably not playing Cooper Cup without, or I'm not playing Matt Stafford without Cooper Cup. I don't think you have to do the same for Stephon Diggs, who is basically seeing the same number of air yards weekly as Emmanuel Sanders, who is at 32. I think Stephon Diggs is like 34, 36. They are like Stephon Diggs is still the clear number one. I don't want to you know get that twisted but they are distributing their targets, their air yards much more uh, flatly than they did last year. With the entirety of the passing game, it has looked much more flat this year. So I actually think he is one that uh, he's only in the rotation for me out of guys. I'm stacking with Josh Allen. If I'm playing Josh Allen, I'm very comfortable going to Emmanuel Sanders, who's seeing a third of the Josh Allen air yards on a Buffalo Bills offense that has a thirty 31-plus a implied team total. As I said before, they are one of the highest pass rate over expectation teams. I mean, he's, uh still looks as good as ever and is tailor-made the way they're using him for Josh Allen's skill set. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm not even as sold on Stephon Diggs. Not that you, like, I'll probably have Stephon Diggs in some lineups, but it's not the same argument I would make for, say, Devontae Adams plus Rodgers. Like, I don't really see many paths. It, it happens, but I don't think there are many paths when Adams is healthy, where Adams gets there and Rodgers doesn't, or even vice versa. I see that with the Bills, because you could get one big game from Emmanuel Sanders, and then Josh Allen rushes in one or two, or throws the one random one to Gabriel Davis. So, I, you know, I actually don't even see Stephon Diggs as a priority. He's just a piece that I can throw into the Allen stacks.
1: I also think as good games have come against Jacksonville and Atlanta. Thus, what if we get off the passing attack and we go Zach Moss and Bill's defense? Um, or maybe even Zach Moss to counter everyone else who's going to play the passing game. Zach Moss, we know, is touchdown or bust, but on FanDuel, for instance, that's just fine. And he's only 6,100 compared to a player like Kenneth Gainwell's 5,900. And there's a lot more variance in Kenneth Gainwell's game, especially if he's going to be used uh, more in the passing attack on FanDuel. So yeah, I actually love Zach Moss on FanDuel in this slate. Uh, having said that, I do have different plays that are my favorite. I would like to get your first, though, your highest roster player or players or uh, intelligent contrarian flyers for tournaments this week.
2: Yeah, so I, I kind of want to throw this one back to you. I'm probably not, not playing any Jalen Hurts, probably not playing any of his receivers. Do you think right. there is any sort of uh, you know negative correlation or just ceiling capping ability of Kenneth Gamewell, who's going to project... Well, even though we don't actually know what his role will be, but I want to find ways to leverage off of the uh Jalen Hurts popularity. And I think, do you think Gainwell is one of those plays? Or do you think he more even like positively correlates with Jalen Hurts? Because I think as much as like Hurts is a perfectly fine play, he's like he's probably the quarterback for cash. It's really hard to find anyone else unless you just argue that Josh Allen is just too good not to play. I think it was like the two quarterbacks really worth playing. Yeah. Is there any way I think Kenneth Gainwell would be the only one to get negative uh like correlation with Jalen Hurts?
1: I believe so, yes, because even though Boston Scott had the goal line role last week, three of the team's four backfield touches in place of Miles Sanders inside the 10-yard line, Goddard's going to come in pretty popular this week as well. Everyone saw he played 93% of snaps, basically used as a wide receiver in his first game without Zach Ertz, so... Miss, so, both Devonta Smith and Goddard are going to be rostered highly, in my opinion. Thus, everyone else will kind of get lost in the shuffle and not know where else to go with Hurts. So, I think he's fine. I think uh, Gamewell's fine. I would not play him on FanDuel, personally, me. But uh, if you're, you know, I know you play a lot more DraftKings. And if you're thinking that's where to go, um, I also think Gainwell not only negatively correlated, but you're taking a chance on that with the pass catching role. But also, I don't think he's going to be rostered at all. Like, I, I think he's just going to get forgotten behind a bunch of these other guys this week.
2: Yeah, then I think that'll be one of my uh, higher spots. I think generally, uh, like you said, DJ Moore, I think is just an absolute smash play, like nearly looks like a lock for double digit targets. Sam Darnold collapses and then PJ Walker comes in and I'm pretty sure he went three for 14. It was truly atrocious. He still goes six for 73, like his absolute floor when his quarterback is so bad that they put three points on the board and his quarterback gets benched for an XFL player is six for 73, maybe a 63. It is just such a high floor for a player who's a super athlete dominating his team's targets. And we keep seeing, we I think we saw it last year a little bit too when like uh, Will Fuller would have 200 air yards, none of which he connected on three straight weeks. The field has gotten a lot sharper. They don't, uh, you know, sort of fall for that box score chasing as much. And I think it's like a decent leverage playoff Robbie Anderson uh, just because I think the field, like you said, is smart enough to keep chasing the Robbie Anderson volume. But like, who would be surprised if maybe Robbie Anderson saw a bunch of targets, but DJ Moore was the one who ended up capitalizing on his easier to connect with targets. I don't know, maybe the last three, four, the entire season says something about that. So I think, you know, the I'm going to have probably, I'm going to have probably a sick amount of Darnold. And I think using uh, DJ Moore instead of Robbie Anderson, because people won't want to pay up for that. There are other receivers that are equally worth paying up for. But when he correlates with my quarterback, DJ Moore, and then like maybe Kenneth Gamel is leveraged. of Jalen Hurts will be some of my more popular plays within my player pool.
1: And knowing everyone's going to want to play Kyle Pitts, I assume if that changes, I'll play Kyle Pitts, but uh, right now I would assume DJ Moore or Cordero Patterson is the best run it back option with a high ceiling in that range um, with DJ Moore. I also really like Nick Chubb, full practice on Friday, removed from the injury report altogether, full go. And I think he comes out and gets every single touch 10 days after we saw Dearness Johnson light it up against the Broncos, but it's Nick freaking Chubb. Uh, Mm -hmm. As well as Dearness played, they are still going to give every single touch to Chubb ahead of Johnson. So I think he's going to come in With feared ownership, given that no one wants to play a player off of injury, but uh, this is the time I think we attack him knowing he's at full health, just with the tea leaves we have seen. And if you want to do that, then you can also run it back with Chase Claypool or Deontay Johnson. Johnson, of course, with double digit targets in every game, but one this year and Chase Claypool, we're just expecting a higher ceiling from after uh, his performance in place of Judas Schuster before the bye. Also, with Eric Ebron rolled out, if you want to, you know, if you want a cheapy tight end run back, like Pat Friermuth is right there for you as well. And that's how I usually play cheap tight ends, especially this week. I'm curious to see where everyone goes because I actually think there are a lot of good options underpriced between uh, Dan Arnold, Fryermuth, and a couple others down there, Hunter Henry as well. But overall playing Nick Chubb with Fryermuth, like you can get touched on equity that way. And it's probably going to be even if Friday minutes gets steamed by Sunday morning, knowing Ebron's out, it's still going to be an under rostered skinny stack. So I like that a lot. And then I think the Austin Eckler injury was a blessing in disguise for tournaments because he was already an awesome play. Uh, I like this total to go well over the Chargers. We know can't stop running the ball. We saw uh, Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell and Devonte Freeman have their way against them. But also uh, they very much suck in defending early down passes. And that's all the Patriots do is either run the ball or dump it off on early downs as a fake part of their running game. And so I like the total a lot. I think this game is going to go overlooked quite a bit. And so between Austin Eckler, uh, between stacking Austin Eckler with Justin Herbert as a high ceiling option, who uh, we know has the same ceiling as Josh Allen. I don't even know like, if I'm looking to run it back. If I do, I'm interested in Hunter Henry, especially since Jonu Smith is a hard questionable. So I like this game as a whole a lot. And I think Austin Eckler will probably be uh, one of my highest rostered players on the entire week.
2: Yeah, so when you were saying, uh, Nick Chubb, not to take us back to that game, but uh, Deontay Johnson, like dude gets 14 targets and everyone's like, yeah, he's like a manufactured slot type of player. Dude gets 14 targets. That You could end the sentence there. Tell me the guy can literally put up 14 targets in a given game, which like 10 or 15 players at most can. And he's like, I love him as the specifically the run back Nick Chubb. And people are not playing Nick Chubb this week. There are other, like, people are going to look at the price and say, like, no way, guy coming off of injury. Brown's offense has a banged up quarterback, not playing him. Yeah, he's Nick Chubb. I don't think there's a, you know, I don't you know, think
1: it's... And, and Nick Chubb's salary, actually, just because of injury, like nothing happened, but just because injury, it dropped 1100 7600 to 6500 on DraftKings since the last time he was available. And so like you're getting like a discount that you will not get next week if he's Nick Chubb. For sure. Yeah, I
2: think that uh, like that just mini correlation. I know that's, uh, I think at least that's what... uh Pat won, uh, not even, he won like, not he won, but like top three to a bunch of other tournaments as well with the secondary stack of, I mean, of course it was Jamar Chase, but the Jamar Chase, Marquise Brown. Yeah, which we talked about.
1: We talked about Joe Burrow against the Blitz last week. Yeah. Um, I still came in underweight on Burrow, had Higgins, unfortunately, with Marquise Brown. But nonetheless, you got your 15 targets from
2: Higgins, you know? yeah.
1: Well, target, <laughs> targets don't pay the bills. Sometimes they do. Yeah. But uh, when the other receiver has 200 yards, it does not pay the bills, unfortunately. But yeah, that is pretty much the way I will play it. I had to pick one right now. I definitely would pick Hunter Henry to come back with. Maybe Damian Harris. I I played a little bit with Brandon Bolden on DraftKings in particular. Brandon Bolden actually leads all running backs and targets inside the 20 as basically the poor man's James White since he took over for James White. But then again, like that's so thin on DraftKings. Once I started looking at the other options around his range, I was like, ah, he really needs two receiving touchdowns since he's not getting carries inside the five either. But yeah, I I, I like that game a whole a whole lot. And so um, Eckler, Herbert, and um, those players are going to be definitely some of my highest rostered on the week. What about your top fade or top situation to fade of the week?
2: Yeah, for me, it's probably just the entire passing attack. I guess if you exclude exclude Kenneth Gainwell. Of, uh of the Eagles I like there's nothing that says that they are in a bad spot or that I don't think Jalen hurts is a good player it's simply that I think this slate has a ton of players grouped into the same general level of value. And maybe, you know, he grades out a little better as value, but I think he can totally just go out and put up 22 points because he's been tightly distributed around that range and his like stacking options have been, you know, pretty much down to like two players. I think it's just so hard to build leverage lineups with him. That's one place I'm not really uh, considering going one, uh, like how much do you buy into Mike Evans cannot beat Marshawn Lattimore because 13 games plus a playoff game. He was like 14 or 15. He's averaging, I think it's like three catches for 49 yards. and well under one touchdown, you know, 0.3, some odd touchdowns. He also has a 140 yard game against them once. So I think if you really want to get cheeky in tournaments, I expect as always, Chris Godwin comes in more popular. And then the Marshawn Lattimore discount goes in and no one's playing Mike Evans. I don't know. Do you, how much do you buy into the cornerback matchup? Cause it's clearly across 14, 15 some odd games, right. Really been difficult for Mike Evans. And like my analytical brain says, sure. I do believe obviously that the, the player who Mike Evans is facing on any given play will impact his performance. But to the extent that he comes in completely unpopular, I think you you probably should, if you're a sharp tournament player, be playing Mike Evans and even Gronk coming back. I think just uh, the passing attack that isn't Chris Godwin is going to be particularly unpopular. Do, so you, I w- do, you, I would do you think it-
1: Godwin will be popular though? Yeah. I actually don't. Dude, Godwin's
2: all like, he literally is always popular because he's yes. like, people just don't like, you said it, people like don't, or at least you alluded to it last week. Godwin was, you know, 26%, I think in the middle, I just pulled it up. Yeah. And Mike Evans, you said like 10% or something. And it's like yeah. that way almost any given week. And honestly, I don't know why. I literally just think people like Chris Godwin more and I don't have an answer for it, but you can go back weeks and weeks and weeks and every single week, no matter which player is more expensive, less expensive, Chris Godwin always comes in more popular. And like the amount of times, if you listen to like normie podcasts and like big NFL media that they tell you how Marshawn Lattimore shuts
1: down Mike Evans. uh, Like, I don't think people are playing Mike Evans this week. It's Godwin. You mentioned Tyler Johnson earlier. and then the only issue in playing any of those guys that Gronk back this week as, as well. And so I just don't know how targets disperse. Like if Brady even chooses to go away from Mike Evans. And of course, for everyone listening, the stats we're talking about is in their last four games, let's just go the last two seasons, has hashtag on Mike Evans and is allowed on average two catches, 34 yards and just one touchdown across those four games. And so, yeah, it is a difficult matchup. No one's going to play him. I also, I also wonder about... Brady double stacks. Have you thought about that since the Saints past defense limited Aaron Rodgers in week one to three points? But since that time, they are, quote unquote, the league's best passing defense, but they've played Sam Darnold, Mac Jones, Daniel mm-hmm. Jones, Taylor Heineke, and Geno Smith. And so I actually, My even though God. Winston has been absolutely terrible under pressure, I do wonder if like anyone's just going to play like any of this game whatsoever, when the ceiling does exist here, there's a lot of things that could go wrong, but it's going to come in well under rostered. Yeah.
2: That's something I thought about. I was surprised, honestly, this game didn't have a uh, higher total, but the thing is the way that the, the Bucks defense plays is obviously as a pass funnel. And ironically, you have James Winston and they don't really seem to want to use James Winston. And even when they do, it often comes off as, as dump offs to Alvin Kamara. So he's not playing as fun, uh, bucks, Jameis Winston, as we've seen. But if there were a game that we were to see that, it would be this game. He still has one of the highest average depths of targets or average depth of throws in the NFL among quarterbacks. We just haven't really seen him play, you know, a, a classic iconic put it in the hall of fame Jameis game if there were ever to be such a game it would probably be this one and i think the run back options are are relatively clear to me marquez callaway still you know ran uh, you know he lapped the rest of his team in routes ran 40 Mm -hmm. routes or alvin kamara just play alvin kamara he's also just a wide receiver slash running back so to me i'm not awfully concerned about the distribution for the bucks i do think it's a a less tight distribution but there without antonio brown there are three guys if you really want to dig Tyler Johnson is the fourth, but there are three guys and we were fine playing them when they had three guys. And that was top three receivers now, because Gronk is just a touchdown funnel. Sure. Maybe like people are more concerned. I'm not, I really think the dynamic does not change. Last week was nice because we had no, we had no Brown and no uh, Gronk this week, a little less nice, but overall I still think it is a, if there are only three guys and the team projects so well, Yeah, sure. I'm probably making a handful of variations of the stack and some of them just burn because one of them plays Mike Evans and he goes one for, you know, one and a touchdown. That's not enough. But I think overall, it's still a good enough offense that two of them can get there. I'm fine burning a few lineups because the ceiling of the ones that do get there are just immense.
1: The more we talk about it, which is why I like doing this show just live off the cuff, I think Winston will enter my quarterback pool. Because, I'm thinking um, about it, yeah. We we know despite being bad under pressure against the Blitz this year, he's completed 60% of his passes for four touchdowns and one pick. Hermar points out that New Orleans plays way too slow, but I will – combat and say, according to established runs, Pat Thorman In their last two games, the saints are actually operating at the second fastest pace and passing at the 11th highest rate and neutral game script. So they are picking it up Oh, in, let's that go. Time, win- in that time. Winston also 32 and a half pass attempts. And more importantly, seven carries with rushing juice. And so like, that's how we get there with cheap quarterbacks is the additional rushing juice. And so even though Marquez Callaway, like he's, he's the spreadsheet guy, right? He's been on the field, all the numbers say to play him, but he really hasn't gotten there in the box score. That alone, it's a great matchup, and they have proven in their past two great passing matchups, they will in fact pass. And you can play him at them and that stack at low ownership and then play chalk across the rest of your lineup because no one's going to play the core, their quarterback stack. Like they're not going to play Winston and X guy. So it does actually make more sense the more we talk about it.
2: Yeah. And that's the type of uh, lineup I'm looking to build this week is one, it's the same argument or, you know, the same type of roster construction. Uh, you know, you pay a little bit more for a receiver with the uh, DJ Moore, but it's that pay for a weird wacky quarterback because all of the quarterbacks outside of Josh Allen are, I don't want to say they're the same, right. But they're within a general grouping. Maybe you add, you know, Stafford and kind of Brady, but Brady's team total isn't like 31. It's usually 30 or plus it's 27. So really it's like Stafford it's, it's Allen. A pretty big teardrop in that group, like Stafford and hurts there, but there are not six quarterbacks who we project to absolutely demolish the slate. There's like one and then two good at their prices. The rest of the quarterbacks on this slate, just because we're missing our Mahomes, our Dak, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, so many of these good players. The rest of the quarterbacks are functionally the same. They're within like a standard deviation of each other. Just play the weird junky ones in games that could still score a ton of points with their receivers that aren't that popular and have a ton of ceiling. Marquez Callaway just because he gets a decent amount of targets pretty far down the field and DJ Moore, because he gets all of the targets all across the field. And the runbacks are pretty easy for both of those players or both of those stacks as well. And just play the chalk, like play the play the good running backs. Daryl Henderson, uh, you know, DraftKings refuses to price him up despite him being an obvious workhorse back. On a team that puts up a lot of points, you know, play him, play all of the good plays because you have already kind of tied yourself to such a unique build.
1: I completely agree. My top fate of the week is really just a rhetorical question for you because <laughs> we see Derrick Henry's salary has dipped. We know it's a week where I bet that fewer people are on him since he just failed. That's usually how the Derrick Henry roller coaster goes. And thus it's Derrick Henry at you know lower ownership. So how do you handle Derrick Henry? Like, what are your thoughts? On that situation, because we also know AJ Brown is going to be one of the highest rostered wide receivers and players for that matter, in the entire field. So that would tell us then, okay, well, you pay up for Derek Henry, but uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. So what are your opinions on that?
2: Yeah, this is one where like his, I, I'm looking at uh how popular he's gonna be. I'm seeing like somewhere just south of 15%. It feels like a perfect equilibrium. Maybe, maybe even a little bit less, especially because my build includes paying for cheap quarterbacks. I can afford to pay it for even like a like my Marquez Callaway, uh, you know, James Winston stack with a Gronk run back, a Tyler Johnson run back. Those cost nothing, so I can play Cooper Cup and Derrick Henry. It's gonna be a pretty unique way to build. I'm not like, uh, you know, I'm probably not jamming because he's not uh, like we'll probably see this with Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb will be 3%, 4%. And he has that similar type of profile, especially we've seen Derrick Henry come back to us as a pass catcher, had that like six target game early in the season. Now he's posting more like two catch games. So I think Nick Chubb has more of that. You know, we saw a few years ago, Derrick Henry would be 4%, 5%. He's not going to be that. I think Nick Chubb fits that bill more of the Uber talent who is not going to be popular at all. It doesn't mean I'm not playing Derrick Henry, but I I do think he kind of falls in an equilibrium where maybe the biggest argument for him is just as a pick. Like, dude, dude, he goes for 190 yards and three touchdowns. You're probably not getting an explosive game from A.J. Brown. That's really the only, like, massively positive argument I can make for him. His price combined with uh, his receiving volume coming down to still a little above Derrick Henry levels, but nothing special, and the ownership meeting a, a good middle equilibrium. I have, like, a very middling opinion on him. I'll have him where I can afford him sometimes and not
1: other times. Totally fair. I'm still wondering how to play that game as well. Cause I like both sides of it. Um, Jonathan Taylor, of course is going to be one of the highest rostered running backs, but I also love the passing game. It's just an issue with T Y Hilton back. Michael Pittman having a 15% target share in back-to-back games, including that first one where T Y Hilton was back and had a 20% target share against the Texans. And so now that he's healthy again, I just wonder how targets are dispersed, even though again, Titans defense allowed the Chiefs to average 4.9 yards per play. But before that, they were run over by three consecutive quarterbacks. So I think it is a a good pivot situation for the cheap options. We talked about Carson Wentz as one of our cheap quarterbacks at the top of the show to pivot off of Jonathan Taylor, or since his routes run the past two weeks has been a season high rate 60% in both games, maybe just pairing Jonathan Taylor with Carson Wentz as we continue to find ways to play that game as well. You go ahead and lead us off for some sneaky stacks, though.
2: Yeah, I want to throw this one to you. Another one that, you know, we're working our stuff out during the show, really. We're going to get a ton of popularity on the Buffalo side of the Buffalo game. Obviously, it makes sense. Miami is supposed to get doused, but that means they're not benching, too, at least not yet. So, uh, like... We're going to get, we should get maybe a season high in pass temps, given how big of underdogs they are. My only concern with that stack is it, it looks like Devonte Parker is coming back, started practicing later in the week. So I think that really muddies the waters. If you could just say it's, it's Gaseki, it's Waddle. I think that's like a super obvious uh, spot where sure, two is not that great, but he throws to two guys. They should be throwing a lot. I'm a little more concerned with Devontae Parker re-entering the lineup, but I still think there is some uh some efficacy in playing just another, you know, I'll throw it to you and see what you think on it, but just another one of these cheap but should be high volume, decent scoring environment quarterbacks to uh probably comes in on the lower end of these guys. I think I'd probably take him behind Winston, behind uh Darnold, but I I think he's worth at least considering.
1: Yeah, I think he's fine, but the Bills defense is another monster compared to. Falcons and Jaguars. And so uh, there's just a real chance the Dolphins offense just craters, honestly, especially since Tua has been getting hyped in the softest matchups possible. And so, yeah, I think I'd prefer to avoid Tua, honestly, knowing we have all these other cheap options and just stick with Jasicki or Devontae Parker or Jalen Waddle as a runback.
2: Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Uh, one of the one, uh, the other side, the Mac Jones side of the, you uh, see so you talked up his uh, his receivers. Yeah. Uh, I, well, you talked about his tight end and his pass catching running back. Mac Jones, I mean, they're actually throwing at a above average rate mm-hmm. and they will be underdogs in this game. They're not, you know, leading the league in pass attempts and a lot of their pass attempts just ultimately result in dump offs because they don't really have like great field stretchers. They don't have great weapons anywhere, to be honest. But is this finally the week where we get our Jacoby Myers touchdown? Because I have been, uh, you know, I have been betting and then doubling down the bet. Every single week that a guy who has the NFL record at this point in his career for most, I believe, targets most receptions and probably most receiving yards. Honestly, without a touchdown for a receiver, will probably score a touchdown at some point. I'm starting to lose
1: faith. I don't know if this is the week, but this is pretty much our best chance, right? <laughs> we, we also know that his A dot is still significantly shallower, just nine yard depth of target compared to Nelson Aguilar's fifteen downfield and uh, Kendrick Bourne's twelve, and so. To me, that's why I mentioned Hunter Henry because it is a clear-cut choice between Hunter Henry or Jacoby Myers. And I would still prefer uh, Hunter Henry. You know, you got to have a touchdown to get there anyways, but I don't know about Mac Jones is the only issue. And I do expect them to move the ball. I would just also be worried about Damian Harris inside the 10-yard line. That's, that's and taking away touchdown equity from Mac Jones, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, so I think that's like all my sneaky stacks. Like, I, you know, there are some other okay spots i i'd I, like not playing jared Goff on the other side of a game that i'm not interested in uh, i don't think carson wentz or ryan tannehill will be that sneaky that was kind of my reasoning for playing sam darnold over them is they all fall in the same range they're probably a little better plays but they uh will be i think significantly more popular the only other one joe burrow uh like is, he's getting priced he's actually getting pretty priced up now i think maybe that's the only reason he comes in as sneaky where is your sneaky stack i've named a few of them i'm not extremely confident in any of them. I'm more confident in the way it sets up my roster. Like, I don't, how could you possibly be confident in Sam Darnold? I, for one, am not. Same with Tua. Tua, in those two matchups, had good games in terms of fantasy points, but still didn't look great. Still has three touchdowns over his past two games. He's not playing like super well. He just had good matchups and put up some yards. My thesis is that paying down for quarterback or paying for just unpopular quarterbacks is the uh, kind of the, one of the easiest ways to build plus EV lineups. Where, what's your sneaky stack?
1: I have quite a few. Uh, now, Joe Burrow, I just don't like point chasing like that. Um, the matchup was good last week, but I do think Joe Mixon, who has been benched in the fourth quarter in consecutive games now because they've built such a lead, uh, Mixon's an incredible play against the Jets. Also, per Sharp Football's Rich Rebar, the Jets allowing a league-high 36 backfield touches per game. And so, with Chris Evans ruled out, if you want to James Conner your lineup up and put Samaj Ryan in there, uh, I can actually see that too, assuming the Bengals build a huge lead. That's the case also if you want to run it back without Corey Davis, without Tevin Coleman. I think uh, Michael Carter will be fairly popular, especially given the target share from Mike White. Now, the issue with Carter is that I think he's going to get steamed heavily by Sunday morning. People love playing cheap running backs in DFS, and the options at the top are just so awesome that I think I'm going to avoid the cheap options like that. Michael Carter, of course, last week without Coleman, did run a season high in routes, did see a season high target share. But also, Ty Johnson left for a little bit, came back, but did leave for a little bit. So I think it's a, the situation is a little more volatile than people expect. So I don't mind avoiding that altogether. But in any bingo stack, he probably would be my favorite option to run it back with, especially if you're trying to pay it down at running back. I also like, again, there are a bunch of running backs at the top I like. Uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Daryl Henderson, Austin Eckler we already talked about, Derek Henry. And then also we talked about Joe Mixon as a sneakier option. I just wonder where James Robinson comes in among everyone because he's he's genuinely one of the best plays on the entire board. I'm absolutely going to play him. I'm just curious because on FanDuel, he's 8,200. On DraftKings, he's 6,600. Like they just missed the boat on this since, you know, before the bye, he actually handled 100% of the backfield touches for the first time all year. And we've seen teams, not just this past week against the, the Seahawks, and Alvin Kamara getting, you know, nearly 200 total yards against them. But Najee Harris had 120 total yards and a touchdown against them. We saw Alexander Madison absolutely own them in place of Dalvin Cook. We saw in week one, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines own them, like having standalone value. They just get run over by opposing running backs, both on the ground and in the passing game. James Robinson is an amazing play. And we also know Geno Smith, for as bad as he's been, has played the Rams, Steelers, and Saints to this point. And now he gets the Jags defense that has allowed over 20 points in every game going back to week 16 of the 2019 season. So this is his easiest competition by far. And so I think Tyler Lockett, a significantly cheaper option than DK Metcalf, this is not a showdown slate where we have to choose between them. Neither of them will be played. And I think one of them can easily get there against the Jaguars. So I like James Robinson and Tyler Lockett, for example, as a skinny stack. And then as we mentioned, um, Austin Eckler and Hunter Henry, I also like as well. I'll see where I come in on Justin Herbert. Knowing that I like a lot of the cheap quarterbacks too,
2: yeah, I think I think the entire Seattle offense that line is or that total has come up a be two points. I think something yeah. you talked about on our but the Edge show. I was told producer Adam told me you talked up maybe that game a little bit as a, a sneaky spot where exactly as you said, like it's two defenses we are certainly not afraid of, and it's a Geno Smith quarterback who, like he's maybe not as bad as he has shown the past three weeks. He does have two really talented receivers. No one, I I can tell you no one will play Tyler Lockett. Like Tyler Lockett has been completely dusted since uh, not even since losing Russell Wilson, but he's just taken a backseat to DK Metcalf, but we see this four stretches of him versus Metcalf. Like we saw all of last year, the guy like, four or five straight pad games and then just blow up 150 obviously those came with russell wilson that is uh at least as far as uh real like millie maker plays go probably something that would like if you simulated the slate out be like a plus ev play um yeah in terms of running backs my opinion is that you know if you had to rank the top five most popular running backs i think henderson would be the most popular running back swift will be close behind him and then at least one of if not both of kamar henry and then I would say probably James Robinson there and maybe Kenneth Gainwell close behind. I'm not sure how the field will end up viewing Kenneth Gainwell. I would think they'll they'll kind of pump him up. So for me, like, especially among the, the running backs who aren't uh, the two expensive ones, if you're looking for anything under 8,000, Henderson, Swift, uh, Robinson will probably be the three most popular. I think Robinson comes in as pretty popular. He always seems to draw some ownership and he should, he sees like the entirety of the backfield and he's talented nonetheless, even if, uh, you know, even when they were splitting him, early with Carlos Hyde, it was obvious he was a better running back and he's like a a really good running back. His UDFA status shouldn't have any uh, impact on him.
1: In in my opinion, like he should be 7,200, 7,400 on draft. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so it's just like too cheap a price. And I just wonder as everyone tries to sort out their wide receivers, if he's just going to get forgotten about. And so uh, that's why I I just genuinely absolutely love him this week. Some loose notes as we end the show before we get out of here. What are you doing with AJ Brown chalk?
2: Uh, this, if he really comes in at like 25%, uh, percent, which, like, it's totally possible, I, I'll have to wait and kind of update as we get towards the end of the week. Uh, I think Derek Henry would actually become increasingly, uh, interesting to me. But, uh, no, I probably. I probably won't end up playing a ton of that game. I think that game sort of will end up functioning as the the stacking game of the week because we don't have a ton of great games. The Buffalo Bills would be, but their opponent is projected to score so few points that I don't think that game gets stacked with like run backs very much. So I think if there's one game that people are willing to play quarterback, receiver, opposing receiver, and maybe even a running back, it is that game. So I'm just kind of, I think one of the bets I'm making this week is for the entirety of that uh, Indy versus Tennessee game to fail.
1: Interesting. Is Tyler Johnson and Marcus Calloway like too thin of a skinny stack?
2: No, that's totally, I, I love that skinny stack, especially <laughs> that, in like larger field tournaments. Is that, is that not legitimate? I need to know. No, I think Tyler Johnson ran three fewer routes than Mike Evans last
1: week. Too. He, did. he there was there, there was a lot of bit of garbage time. Uh, <laughs> that's my only concern is that the bucks didn't even want to come out in the second half. Cause they won it in the first half. It's like, they're not, even, they, they didn't even think the bears were trying and I didn't think the bears were trying either. So I'm just worried about like, the, the confusing usage behind the scenes. But overall, like, I, I think it's pretty viable, actually. Yeah, absolutely. He's
2: I think they priced him up $100. He's 3,100. Uh, it's, to me, anytime, he's like a, you know, worse Van Jefferson, right? Van Jefferson is a few hundred dollars more, but we know he has a role. We think Tyler Johnson has a role, especially, it's not like he ran, like, more routes or anything. It's not like they were Trying to trot out like multiple tight end, multiple running back, a ton, right? It's you know we didn't see Ronald Jones get on the field a ton in that game, you know, up until like I think he got the final drive, maybe. Uh, yeah. So he looks like he's clearly the number three receiver. I think. Um, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Another another player that's like a complete enigma, Cordell Patterson at 6,200. If you told me a dude who's averaging seven targets per game and got 14 carries in each of the past two weeks plays in a game that I am looking to stack, I don't know, man. That is a. Uh, I think especially he might be a player that has sort of the opposite. I talk about how um, we have ownership efficiency increase as you go higher up in stakes. The more money you have, the more likely you are to be a good player, et cetera, et cetera. I think he almost is one player that had the opposite, right? We see players who are like outperforming their usage, really drop their ownership in the uh, in the higher stakes. But there's an equilibrium to that. I think he's maybe one player who uh, – more casual players – will gravitate towards but in your situation when you're playing a lot of the single entry three max at the high stakes the mid stakes i don't think he ends up coming in that popular and he's being used as like uh, both his team's number two slash three receiver and their number one running back mike davis completely fell out of favor last week
1: and also he falls in the same range of like the other running backs we're trying to choose from between nick chubb joe mixon james robinson daryl henderson so it's just like the perfect pricing situation as well, where he probably will go overlooked because everyone will start at Daryl Henderson and work their way around from there. What about the what about the Miles Gaskin Miami backfield situation? Any interest in that? We saw Miles Gaskin season high 19 touches whenever Malcolm Brown got, you know, injured next to the game and then put on IR, also handled all three of the team's running back touches inside the 10 after that. And so he is as the pass catching option over Savon Ahmed, a potential running back because of the passing role uh but you were shaking your head so I assume that's a no uh, I don't know the more you describe to me it does I'm not selling uh, it it's all just, I, these are the loose notes I have to talk about the ball because these are these are the Kerouacian notes that are in my head and I just like <laughs> to get them all out
2: yeah that's the why I threw Cordell Patterson out to you I don't know if I'm playing Cordell Patterson but I wanted to bounce that off uh you like you describe Miles Gaskin's usage and it, it sounds legitimately like the exact type of run back you want whereas if they point put Points up on the board if they do manage to get in the red zone. No guarantees their implied team total is very low. He's gonna be out there, it seems like based on last week. My only concern is that we have seen this three or four times with this team, where uh, you know, one week we see the what was like the 10 target game from Miles Gask and he disappears the next week. Luckily, we have no Malcolm Brown in the picture right now on IR. So it seems like uh it is obviously narrowed to two backs because of that. I can have maybe a little more confidence and the way they use him as that uh, you know, pass catcher. Yeah, it does make some sense. Yeah, I think it's, it's maybe I'll get into it. I I think I will, if I'm playing Josh Allen, another one where if you're playing Josh Allen, you have to make some sort of places where you sacrifice a few points because you need to make some uh, like leverage plays. And yeah, I think that that qualifies.
1: Washington has allowed a top 12 QB one performance in four consecutive games. Here comes Teddy Bridgewater practicing full pretty much throughout the week. Cortland Sutton, an awesome play, even though Jerry Judy's back and everyone wants to play Jerry Judy, which is why another teammate pivot situation, Sutton, in my opinion, is the significantly better tournament play over Jerry Judy. On the other side of the ball, though, Antonio Gibson practiced in full on Friday for the first time since week four, I believe, and was removed from the injury report altogether. So any thoughts on this game as a whole?
2: I probably wouldn't play like a single piece of this game. Uh, well, like what's uh, what's the total in this game? It's got to be truly, truly atrocious. It is, uh, it's actually not as bad as I thought, 45, but there are enough games in that, you know, 46, 47, 48 range that I don't think you really need to sacrifice this many projected points. And although Antonio Gibson uh, arguably has uh, at no point been healthy because he still was like dealing with the, the, was a turf toe, right? Up until the start of the season. I do struggle to, uh, I, do, I do struggle to really see how he has a massive ceiling game given that he's basically a two-catch-a-game guy. He's less than Josh Jacobs in that sense. He's just, uh, he's not the Antonio Gibson we are promised, and we kind of have to deal with that. He's like Chris Carson or whatever.
1: Not the Prince we are promised. And with that, I believe that is every note I wanted to talk about. Any parting words that we may have missed before we get out of here?
2: No, we covered everything, and then more
1: players that had no plans on covering. I wish I had a better optimal lean for everyone before we get out of here. Uh, Right now, I would say, I think the best strategy is to pay up at running back where you can, since we'll probably get a lot of Michael Carter and some other cheap options coming in. Also, just remember that a lot of these ranges are going to just get stuffed with ownership. So, you know, like your Dale Henderson's, I came into this show thinking I was going to play Henderson no matter what. And now, like, I look at all these options and I don't think I need to anymore, actually, considering like Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, we talked about James Robinson will be rostered less and they're as good if not better of options guaranteed as much if not more snaps and touches so I think that's my way of saying I might be paying down at quarterback despite wanting to play Justin Herbert as a sneaky tournament option and then just fitting in a lot of more expensive players around them so with that he is at Kyle tweets here on Twitter Kyle Dvorak I am at not J. Daigle John Daigle we will be back Sunday morning noon eastern for the start, sit, kickoff show presented by Applebee's. Please tune in. We will answer all your start, sit questions then. Until then, good luck this week. We will see you this time next week.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well.